the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky of the Green Peak, and joining us today, we have David Nixad with EI Ventures, which is a bit of a turn for us in that it is a company focused on psychedelics. And welcome aboard, David. Yeah. Aloha. How are you? You're based in Hawaii, I gather, and uh, came to the space. You originally were in cannabis a few years ago, but now uh, looking at psychedelics. I've uh, been in the cannabis space for about 15 years. It started in Southern California and have been, have been involved in the psychedelic space for about a decade now. Okay. And, um, you know, what, what brought you to the psychedelic space and what made you, attracts you to it versus, you know, your previous interest in cannabis? Or are you still involved? I don't know if you were involved with Rainmaker, I believe it was. And um, so has that morphed in completely into a psychedelic focus or do you still maintain an interest in both? So, so Rainmaker is my personal fund that was rolled into our parent company, okay. which is called Orthogonal, Orthogonal Thinker. Mm -hmm. And EI Ventures is a wholly owned subsidiary of Orthogonal Thinker. So we still have many assets in the, in the cannabis space like Meadow and Mellows and we're an investor in Arcview Capital, um, mm -hmm. but EI is our crown jewel of all of our nutraceuticals and psychedelic intellectual property. Okay, fantastic. And, you know, I, most of our listeners are cannabis focused, but there's a lot of conversations going around about the psychedelic space and the, the opportunities that sit there um, with regards to patient care and treatment and the, the differences and how, you know, the two together can uh, help deal with different conditions. What brought you to the psychedelic space? You know, I've been a cannabis smoker and I would say home grower for a very long time. I've probably been, don't want to age myself, but I've been smoking cannabis probably for 30 years uh, to the point of, you know, smoking from the moment of waking up and going and running five miles at the gym. So something that has been, you know, part of my journey. And at a certain point, you know, I realized that uh, there's parts of cannabis, whether it's, you know, being tired or, you know, uh, having some coughing in the throat and other things. Also just emotional intelligence. I felt like I, you know, had reached my peak of where I wanted to go with, you know, smoking cannabis. I believe with cannabis and CBD, there's a lot of therapeutic uh, things that you can do with it, whether it's, you know, applying it to the body or different, you know, non, what I would call non-entourage effects. But uh, mm -hmm. the thing with psychedelics and, you know, I started doing psychedelics when I was a teenager. Um, unfortunately, back then you were getting good psychedelics and bad psychedelics. But when I moved to Hawaii, I got to encounter people that were making psychedelics that were completely botanical based. Uh, one of my first interactions was actually taking a botanical based uh, type of LSD. And what was interesting about that is uh, usually when I had taken psychedelics, whether it was MDMA or LSD, 
I felt very depleted. Um, my nervous system felt off. I would almost go into a depression. Um, after taking this product, I felt good. I didn't feel depressed and really started uh, getting into this in the realm of saying, you know, these are great products. Maybe there's something more that I don't understand. Um, and almost went through a 10 year journey of understanding how, you know, synthetic pharmaceuticals and synthetic products are created versus products that are made from, you know, whole plant botanicals or just whole plant materials. Right. Okay. So, you know, that part makes sense in terms of the, uh, the plant-based versus the pharma. And there's going to be obviously trade-offs as you uh, move into purely chemical compositions, as opposed to, as you refer to the entourage effect with regards yep. to it. Um, is the, is EI focusing on certain conditions or areas for treatment? What we're focused on, so we have, in terms of psychoactive materials, we have three main products, which are uh, specific botanical analogs to psilocin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. We also have a botanical-based uh, MDMA analog, and we have a DMT botanical analog. And really what we're doing is taking approach very similar to Ginkgo Bioworks, which was a company that I had interacted with in Y Combinator, where we will take the active pharmaceutical ingredient and actually partner with other companies to develop licensing agreements um, and just different ways where we can actually use these products for multiple different conditions. I will tell you that our crown jewel product, which is silly, you know, anecdotally, we know that it can be used for, you know, addiction to heroin or hard drugs, uh, intimacy issues, PTSD, depression, suicide, um, you know. So we also understand that the idea of a company like GW Pharmaceutical, it took them 12 years and $500 million to develop a uh, isolate CBD product for epilepsy. So, the, right. the idea of the idea of you know going down one condition, mm-hmm. uh, you know this product can be used for many different conditions. So we we really feel like we're going to have lots of different partners, whether those are government, states, uh, specific companies that want to partner with us that have the money to actually go down this road. I've actually spent almost ten but, years. But, but you know, I I agree with you that you know it can be used for a variety of conditions. But one of the reasons GW invested so heavily and went so heavily and really, you know, opened the market for most other companies that have come behind them is, you know, physicians and medical practitioners need to know what they're prescribing and how to the right dosage and how to deal with it. But they need it for a specific condition. They can't. They don't gen cheat in adrenalized fashion they want to be able to treat specifically so that research is almost necessary isn't it uh you know that's a that's that's a tough situation for me because i I am the patient and there are kids today that are prescribed adderall and lexapro Uh and many products that have long-term very harmful effects there was a time in my life where i was on a hundred milligrams of adderall so as much as I believe in that process of, you know, going down the FDA roadmap, which we do have an FDA roadmap, you know, the idea of therapeutically being able to 
go into a country like Canada and have a hundred percent botanical product that has gone through, let's say, phase one or phase two trials, um, to spend 12 years to get a product to market that should be to market today, something needs to shift. Yeah, but even, you know, in Canada, the doctors don't prescribe it without understanding specifically what are they trying to treat. Well, I mean, in Canada right now, Theracil, as well as a number of other companies, companies are using it for terminally ill patients, Mm -hmm. but that's also opening up where they're going to use it for lots of other disorders. Yeah, no, I I mean, I live in Canada. I'm very familiar with the system here, but you know, it's the, and there's a very strong basis, you know, and, you know, we were very, in Canada was very advanced in terms of helping open the medical cannabis space, but it was still very focused originally around eight conditions that doctors were able to prescribe against. And it was only, you know, it took, we opened up the law in 97, the first company started producing in 2003. And it took till about 2000, well, 12 years later, the next company started opening up. But during that period, it was still just very, very limited what doctors were allowed to use cannabis for. A regimen doesn't allow just a a wide open, uh, you know, just try it it's because that's dangerous. Uh, I mean, you know, just to be totally transparent with you, I've been following the the Canadian psychedelic scene now for, you know, a decade plus. So Mm -hmm. there, there are dispensaries currently in Canada that are selling botanical matter uh, in what I would call dispensary type locations. So I think right now, Canada is still figuring out how they're going to move forward with this. But I do believe that botanical products are going to be available a lot sooner without going down, you know, 10 years worth of trials. Sure. But, you know, dispensaries in Canada aren't licensed pharmacies. They're still a gray area of business and they're tolerated and exist, but there's it doesn't give it legitimacy. And it's not that I'm arguing against it. It's just, you know, the reality of it. But we do have to take a break um, for our sponsors. And we'll be back in a minute with uh, David Nixad uh, from EI Ventures to talk more about psychedelics and some of the opportunities that the market offers. I'm Richard Zwicky of The Green Peak. Be back in a minute. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. 
And we're back on the Green Peak. I'm Richard Zwickley today with David Nixad from EI Ventures. And we were talking a bit about psychedelics and the different aspects. And David, you know, you know, when I look back at it and, you know, we talked a bit about the Canadian experience, but, you know, for years, everybody at first treated it like, well, you know, it's just a different way of getting stoned. And then people started recognizing there were more and more benefits and we started learning more and more about cannabis and the way to use it. And, you know, I've seen some amazing life transforming effects on people with uh, nerve damage, neuropathy, of course, epileptics yeah. and others. Um, and there's still remains some skeptics. And, you know, I understand and, you know, feel, you know, that there is a real place for uh, psychedelics in the uh, medical uh, lexicon as well and should be discussed and used in, uh, in the course of patient treatments my you know my concern is just that we don't um you know take it too informally from the perspective of the most effective way to get patients treated is to make sure we're doing things methodically um and with a real eye towards patient care and compliance and helping understand what works and what doesn't for one patient to the next because we're all different and you know customized medicine personalized medicine is definitely the next phase of uh, the marketplace and helping under helping doctors understand what works for individuals is going to be key with psychedelics of course we're dealing with the you know it does deal everybody thinks it deals primarily with the brain but of course it'll deal holistically with the whole body in in many ways but the brain is probably one of the hardest parts of our body to, to treat because we're the worst patient of ourselves. We, we don't, aren't often able to self-diagnose effectively, but we, and we don't always know when it's right or when it's wrong because it is us. And it's, uh, it's hard for us to sometimes take the step outside of ourselves to judge what's working and what's not. How, you know, as a, as a advocate in the space and basically a pioneer in the space who's going to be approaching, you know, therapeutic drug development with um, psychedelics, how are you going to proceed with that educational process and helping people understand how to use it properly for very specific conditions? Because those, so, dealing with that gives a lot of legitimacy, right? Yeah, and let me start with with number one. Uh, you know, we don't believe this product should be used in any type of a recreational manner. Just to let you know, all the listeners know, I went through a process of you know using this medicine for long a long period of time, working on specific habit loops that I needed to get through, and understanding that today uh, I only use these medicines when I need to you know, when I'm really going to work on myself. So we are not an advocate to say, okay, psychedelics are, are an everyday recreational product. Our FDA roadmap for ourselves is a 10 year plus journey, but what we've done, and this is really, uh, you know, probably what I would say our one desire is bringing a product to market that can be dosed somewhere between one to three milligrams that could be used by somebody in all age ranges, again, adults, where somebody could go through something, go through an actual healing experience where they do not hallucinate, they have this entourage effect, 
they can go through an hour of therapeutic treatment and then be able to drive again. I think when we were talking before the break, my big issue right now in the psychedelic space is, and again, I am the patient, taking 25 milligrams of some synthetic psilocybin or dosing yourself with LSD and that being an available product you're going to get at a pharmacy, that scares me. I don't uh, see that as being, I, I don't see that as being anywhere near something that I'm an experienced psychedelic user and I wouldn't even do that. Right. So, you know, as, as far as products developed, one of the ones that I learned about that you've got is a product called Silly uh, with Correct. a P and yep. it's a smoking cessation product or a product to help you see uh, quit smoking from what I understand. How how does that work, and how how is it, um, you know, how how will it be applied? Well, that specific product we've been working on uh, for some time. It's it's definitely still in product development. We haven't gone to start any type of trials in it, but it is a transdermal patch that would, as we like to say, administer product into the patch in a mini, mini micro dose in one milligram dosages or less. And we find with people that are smoking, it's a habitual sensation. We've, we've talked to many smokers. Uh, I have a family member that has smoked for multiple different decades. So the idea of when you want to pick up a cigarette and all of a sudden you have this entourage effect where you take this product and you don't want to smoke that's that's what we're doing with this transdermal patch uh idea and so it's basically you know you're trying to help retrain the brain not to have that habitual behavior correct it's it's a habit it's a way to actually so what i like to describe silly as it's Mm -hmm. a way to bring the mind and body and nervous system back to the first attention as a child. So you're, you're getting this entourage effect of this product silly. Uh, you, you go back to smoke the cigarette. And when you do that, you understand, Oh my gosh, this thing doesn't taste right. It doesn't make me feel good. That's the beautiful part about silly. It actually allows you uh, to break out of what I will call the numbing of the mind and the numbing of, of the body that gets developed when you do something for so long. That, that's what a habit loop is. Right. Now, that, that sort of behavioral issue is something that you know, isn't just smoking-related. Do, do you look at this product as being, in general, a way for people to retrain habitual behaviors? Absolutely. That's why that's why I'm so excited about the idea of being able to develop something that is a one milligram or less dosage. You understand that one mm-hmm. milligram is is like a, a flake. It, it, there's no there's no actual this is something that goes through the nervous system so quickly and it leaves what I would say, no residue into the nervous system. I, I, what we want to do is be able to bring something to market that in a therapeutic environment could do well without, like the other day I read some guy injected magic mushrooms in his arm. Well, 
we went to Amsterdam and we met with the gentleman that changed the laws after some lady jumped off a building uh, from taking, you know, psychedelics. Mm-hmm. We can we cannot have that happen. What what's going to ultimately yeah, what's going to ultimately happen when you're prescribing LSD and these other products is, unfortunately, like we've seen with opioids and Adderall and everything else, people don't just use that product. They mix it with alcohol. They mix it with cannabis. Oh, they're so, horrible products, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, and people don't realize what's at the core, what they're giving their children who are going on Riddle and their Adderall. It's scary. Oh, my gosh. It's so, I, I was sniffing Ritalin in junior high. So, you know, I was somebody that was diagnosed with Asperger's mm-hmm. and I was prescribed Ritalin and me and my friends, you know, uh, that that's first of all, somebody in junior high school shouldn't be being prescribed those types of products. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. They're, um, it's horrible to see. And when you start going into the chemical compounds and everything that's in them, you know, I'm, I'm. I, I just don't understand, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's the easy button I find with people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, what I need to get back to, which I didn't touch on, I got into this 10 years ago for myself to mm-hmm. actually work on myself. I went to Hawaii not to necessarily, you know, do this to make money. What has happened with this is that I've put everything I have into this because I do believe that people need access to these medicines. That's why we are the only company that is committed to coming to market at a dollar a dose. We are the only company that has committed that in small batch manufacturing, we would give people grams of product for free to be able to do clinical trials. Right now, if you buy a gram of product from the two main companies that manufacture synthetic psilocybin, it's $10,000 a gram. You got to give people access. You got to give the universities, doctors. Uh, we want thousands of clinical trials going on not just 100 clinical trials where, you know, the same two products and the same, you know, uh, what I would say treatment is being done. There's nothing, there's nothing authentic about that. Sure. So I'd like to come back to that about the, um, you know, the scope and scale and how that can uh, be rolled out after the next break, which we have to take now. I'll be back with David Nixad on The Green Peak with Richard Zwicky. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success, Cannabis Radio is back with more of The Green Peak. 
And we're back on the Green Peak with uh, David Nixad from EI Ventures talking about psychedelics. And David, just before the break, you started talking about, you know, wanting to do thousands and, uh, of clinical trials. And, you know, that's fantastic. I mean, that is really incredibly valuable for patients, for everybody who's interested, because that's how knowledge gets documented. So it gets shared and learned. Um, but, you know, that's, a, that's an incredibly costly process as well. And, you know, earlier on, you mentioned about uh, GW Pharma having spent half a billion dollars on uh, product development and basically their clinical trial process going through. And I know, you know, in most pharmaceuticals, they're spending hundreds of, that's a very common number. You know, 500 million is not a uh, outlier. It's very common doing a lot of different clinical trials across a lot of different applications of the product is going to be a daunting task. How, how are you going to tackle that? Um, we find that with much of this, it comes down to access. You know, the beautiful part about this is clinical trials are changing also. Mm -hmm. You know, once, once we get into a position where we have this active pharmaceutical, uh, this, yes, this API that I call, where we can actually small batch manufacture something that goes through phase one and has 99% what I call efficacy, it will mm -hmm. be able to fast track to phase two for everybody that wants to work with our specific product. So our main desire right now is to get into small batch manufacturing, move through toxicology, animal testing, INDs, and a phase one, so we can set people up for success. Uh, the, what has happened with synthetic psilocybin is that everybody's using the same product and everybody's fast-tracking to phase two, basically to raise money for their companies. Right. Most people, if, if you really look at everybody that has actually done any type of trials, the companies that have actually done that are in phase two or phase two B, they've maybe worked on 150 patients. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like we got to get out of this, this mindset of, okay, companies that are working on this are only doing this to pump their valuations and look better to investors. I think there has to be an element of actually like, uh, doing something real and, and making these products accessible. So, you know, it doesn't cost you $10,000 a gram to actually start, you know, getting into clinical trials. So there's many parts of the model that we have broken down, and I'm happy to share that with you separately of how to save money from not spending $500 million on trials. And it's really using technology and efficiency and you know, where we are today Today to say, okay, there are faster, better ways to do this. For sure. There's definitely better ways to do things. I think the, you know, some of the process is extremely cumbersome in areas and it's, uh, <clears throat> but it's, it's a challenging, it's a challenging hill to climb. No, no doubt about it. Now, you know, for patients or people um, who are interested in learning more about the, the space and about, you know, your project, what are, where do you recommend they go and visit to find out more online? I mean, the simplest place to go is ei.ventures. That's mm -hmm. our main website. Um, and we actually, what we've done is we've created an entire investor package or educational package, which is a summary of 
what all companies are doing and how people are going about these trials. We've also laid out, you know, what our disruption methodology is. I think just going back to what we were talking about earlier, when you start down a process where you're going to charge $10,000 per gram to get into any type of clinical trial, that's the starting point of where the problem begins. We always like to go back to, you know, what Tesla did with their battery. They open access the battery. That's, that's the way we look at it is let's open access this product and let's allow many more people to get involved with it. And yes, we, we do believe that a thousand clinical trials should be going on today and they should be for multiple different types of disorders. I know the universities are always looking for partners for the trials. The question becomes, they need the product and then they need the funding though, right? So hopefully the two pieces can come together. Uh, we, we're in a society right now that has $2 trillion worth of investment capital out there. Yep. So there is plenty of capital. There absolutely is. There absolutely is. There's always, you know, people always looking for ways to participate. So. That's excellent. Well, David, thank you for joining us today on the Green Peak. I'm, uh, you know, was uh, was very interesting, learned a lot. And, uh, you know, thanks to our listeners for listening, learning uh, some more as well this week. And we're going to be back again with everybody next week. But thank you, David. Thank you very much, Richard. Really appreciate your time. Aloha. Aloha. Have a wonderful day. I can't, which island are you on, by the way? Uh, I live on Maui. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, it is a gorgeous island, and you definitely understand the power of botanicals when you live on an island like that. Yep, I can. Yeah, I I love Maui. Yeah. All right. Our our cannabis is pretty good. Yeah. No, I uh, I'm not. I haven't sampled that there, but uh, that's okay. I live on a different island. Um, but thanks, everybody. Yeah, of course. Aloha. Bye bye. Yep. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.